Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Happy New Year. Yeah, most of you are like, oh, brother, just another year. Come on, Phil. I know. Hey, we're in a new study. Acts chapter 2 is where we are today. It is a new year, a new study. I'm praying for great things for you this year as well as myself. In Acts chapter 2, we find what we need more than anything. And I do want to invite you, as Tashawn did, to our Leadership Summit. This is the second annual Leadership Summit. Every single one of us should see ourselves as a leader. You say, Phil, it's not for me because I'm not a leader. Listen, if you're a single mother, what does that make you? It makes you a leader. See, we're all called to be somebody's leader. And in the body of Christ, we're called to make disciples, which means if you're making disciples, you're somebody's leader. And so this weekend is for every single person here, and I hope to see you there. Chad kicked us off last week in Acts chapter 1 with this principle. We're studying leadership principles from the book of Acts. And what we saw last week is that spirit-led leaders are desperate for a move of God. Let me ask you, are you desperate for a move of God? I'm desperate, guys. I've been desperate for a move of God for 23 years since I came here, and I'm still desperate to see greater things in the days ahead. For all that's behind us, there's greater things yet ahead of us, and we want to be desperate to see that move as we go to the city this year and launch Abundant Life Crossroads. We need to be desperate for a move of God. And I'm going to talk today about the second principle, and it's this. Uh, Leaders... Leadership principles, spirit-led leaders are filled with the Spirit. What does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? I'm going to talk about that today because the reality is this. We need to be filled with the Spirit if we're going to be led by the Spirit. And whatever kind of leader you are, if you're a mother, if you're a father, guess what you need? You need the Spirit of God in your home, the Spirit of God upon your life to raise up your children to know and love Jesus. If you're a kindergarten teacher, guess what you need? You need the Spirit of God worse than anybody I know. See, in some way, this applies to all of us. We need the Spirit of God up on us if we're going to fulfill what God's called us to. And so today I want to talk about this. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be led by the Spirit? You know, today is a day where there's more leadership material ever in all of history. There's more written about it. There's more podcasts about it. There's conferences and seminars. It's all about leadership. And today I'm going to talk about an element of leadership. Listen, you can't go to a book to find it. You can't listen to a podcast to get it. You can't go to a seminar to receive it. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God has given you something in your life as a child of God to live above your ability, to make you stronger than you could ever be, uh, to make you more powerful than you thought you could be? So I was very reminiscent recently during college football bowl season, my Kansas Jayhawks, I have the blood and sweat equity in the Kansas football program, so I am still a fan. And I was watching the Kansas bowl game recently for the first time in like a century, okay? Let's just say it. 
And so there I am watching Kansas play Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. And as I'm watching, I'm having these memories, this flooding back, this reminiscing about, you know, the days that I was there. And there I was at this time in my life. I was not living for Jesus. I was far from God. This was my prodigal season in my life. Though I'd been raised in a Christian home, I was far from God, living in sin. And I'd gone there to live my dream. And I wanted to compete. Division I football program. It doesn't matter what program. Division I, guess what? Everybody's good. Everybody's big. Everybody's fast. Everybody's really the same. And so a lot of my friends, my first year, were on steroids. They were taking steroids. In fact, just about everybody I knew was taking steroids. And I thought, you know what? If this is what it takes to compete, I'm all in. Whatever it takes, I'm not here to sit the bench. I came here to play. And I need to be bigger than I am. I need to be faster than I am. I, I want to be more powerful than I am. And so um, I had a friend and every single week, he'd make a run to Kansas City to buy some steroids, Diana Ball, bring it back to the team, and he would disseminate the steroids. And I thought, you know what? If this is what I have to do to win, I'm in. And so here's what happened. I'm on a, I'm on a scholarship, so I, I'm not paying for tuition or anything, but I have no money for anything else. <laughs> and so I knew once a month, my mom and dad was sending me some spending money. And the week he made a run to Kansas City to buy these steroids and bring them back, I said, look, I don't have any money this week. I will have some money next week. When you go back next week, I'll give you some money. You can bring me some back too. That's what everybody was doing. This is where I was in life. Bad decisions happen when you're not living for Jesus. That was me. So what happens in that week when I didn't have any money to pay for them, I was going to defer to the next week. What happens is this great big scandal hits the news. Vanderbilt University, they make the front page of Sports Illustrated. It's a steroid scandal. The strength coach at Vanderbilt gets fired. It's all over the news. And that made our strength coach at Kansas, he brought the entire team together. And I remember the speech, we're in the weight room. He said, gentlemen, we're going to do it right at the University of Kansas which means I'm going to look the other way. <laughs> Not really, literally, he didn't say that, but that's kind of what happened. It kind of goes underground. All of a sudden, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's doing it in open, but that scandal and that talk you gave about, you know, this is unhealthy for you, uh, this could hurt you, et cetera, et cetera, that was all it took. I decided right there, okay, I'm not taking steroids. So of all the stuff I did do, there's still one thing I'm saying I never did, okay? I never took steroids. It was an example of God saving me from myself. Again, when I was living in sin, God has a way of doing that. By his grace, we are saved. Another example, he saved me from myself at a time uh, that I was going to injure myself. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I did go on still and play in the NFL. I had a long, illustrious career in the NFL. Well, that one's supposed to be a joke. I played in the Nerf Football League. I was really, really good. But listen carefully, what I'm saying today is what steroids are to an athlete, the Spirit of God is in the life of the believer. We need to be stronger than we actually are. We, we need to be faster than we really are. We, we need to be more powerful than we are in the natural. Now, while steroids are a bad idea, they will injure you physically. Do you understand the Spirit of God will not injure you? In fact, you become more healthy, and all of a sudden you get to live above your ability. Like, I don't know who that guy is. It's clearly not him. In the same way steroids make somebody unnaturally better than they are, the Spirit of God makes us unnaturally better than we actually are. 
And this is what happens in Acts chapter two. The Spirit of God comes on 120 followers of the living God and an explosion takes place and is still rocking the world to this day. After 2,000 years, God promised to give us his Spirit so we could be a powerful witness of his Son. Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible or the book of Acts, the book of Acts is a historical record of the Acts of the Apostles and the early church as they indeed fulfilled the Acts 1-8 mandate. Jesus said right before he ascended back into heaven, here is your mission. I want you to be my witness and take the good news of the gospel that I died for your sin, rose again. I want you to take that message from Jerusalem to Dea Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And guess what happened? By the end of the first century, without any modern technology, those early Christians had done just that. God made good on that promise, supernatural power of the spirit to be a supernatural witness of the sun. And did you know that modern sociologists have actually studied the spread of early Christianity, trying to put it in understandable terms, scientific terms? And modern scientists that study sociology has come to the conclusion that early Christianity cannot be explained. It spread like fire through dry timber. Church, I'm trying to tell you, it was a supernatural move of God that is still moving 2,000 years later, changing lives as it did historically, and is still impacting lives, not just historically, but eternally. It has the power to change your life personally. And so indeed, Jesus sends them back to Jerusalem, says, wait, wait for the promise. Don't do anything until God makes good on the promise. Acts 1.8, you've heard John the Baptist indeed baptized with water, but Jesus said, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's exactly what happens beginning in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you're ready for this, say, Holy Spirit, come. All right, here we go. Acts 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues. This word in the Greek is languages. The gift of tongues is often confused, kind of this mysterious thing. What is it? It's It's the supernatural gift of languages. And they have this gift of language to share the gospel with people that speak a different language of which they didn't speak. It says uh, the divided tongues or languages as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. What's happening on the day of Pentecost? There are thousands and thousands of Passover pilgrims that have come from all over the Roman world. They've gathered now in Jerusalem. And so there's lots of different languages that are there that day. And on this day, the Spirit of God comes and fills 120 people for the first time in history. Understand, the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament followers of God, they were never, ever indwelled by the Spirit of God. This is something brand new that God is now doing. The Spirit of God would lead them. The Spirit of God might come on them, but the Spirit of God never lived in them. 
And on the day of Pentecost, what happens? The Spirit of God comes to live inside of them, to empower them. God made good on that promise that he would baptize them with the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God coming now to live in them. Now, we need to recognize something about the book of Acts. As we study any place in the Bible, you have to put it in its proper context, beginning with asking this question, why was it written? The book of Acts was not written primarily for church theology, but rather to record church history. It's really important that we understand that. It's a transitional book between the two covenants, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Law, grace, Israel, church. So God's doing some new things in the book of Acts. And what that means is it's written primarily for our understanding of church history, not primarily for theology. We get our theology primarily from the epistles written specifically to the church. So it's not that there's no theology in the book of Acts. There is theology in Acts, but we must always run it then through the epistles that was written specifically to the church for the purpose of our faith and practice, what to believe. For that reason, a lot of the book of Acts is more descriptive than prescriptive. What that means is on this day in Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came and moved on 120 people, they literally heard a sound from heaven like a mighty rushing wind, which means the Spirit of God can move and you may not hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It's okay. It's just describing historically what happened on the day of Pentecost. You see in the book of Acts, for example, deacons emerge in the early church as a office of the early church. But it's in the book of First Timothy chapter 3 that we get more information on the office of deacon with the qualifications, for example. You see here in Acts chapter 2 how 120 people are all filled with the Holy Spirit and they all spoke in other languages. So a lot of people will isolate this passage and say, see, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you should have the spiritual gift of languages or tongues. But listen carefully, once again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive, because when you get to the epistles, the letters to the church, the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. But then he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, do we all speak in tongues? He's answering the question, no. Meaning you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and don't think you're a second-class Christian if you've never had this gift of tongues, this gift of languages. The mark of being filled with the Spirit is Galatians 5. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which I was going to talk about at the end of this sermon, but I won't have time. For all of you type A people that you got to get all your blanks filled in, you won't be able to sleep all week long. I'm sorry. It's too much to say in too little time. We'll come back to it, amen? Everybody in? A couple things I want you to see about this in Acts 2. First of all, the church was born on the Feast of Pentecost because the church was born for the harvest. This is absolutely providential. It is not coincidental. One more reason I'm convinced the Bible is indeed a supernatural book by a supernatural author because men are not smart enough to do this stuff. Check this out. Jesus was crucified and died specifically on the feast of Passover, the day of Passover. What would happen? The Jews would take a lamb and take the blood of that lamb on the day of Passover. 
and they would take that blood and put it on the doorposts of their home and thousands of Passover lambs were sacrificed in the temple by the priests. And do you understand all those Passover lambs, century after century, were symbols and shadows pointing to the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, John 1, 29, that takes away the sins of the world. 1 Corinthians 5, Christ is our Passover. And on the cross of Calvary, he was the final sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb that died to take away our sin. And that was on the day of Passover. Now watch this. Historically, three days after Passover, the Jews would celebrate the Feast of First Fruits. Three days after Jesus was crucified as the Lamb of God, what happened? He rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. Guess what the Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He died on Passover. He rose from the dead on first fruits. Yes, I'm sure that's just coincidental. Now check this out. 50 days after Passover, the Jews would celebrate the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost simply means 50, 50 days after Passover. And it was a celebration of the harvest. In the ancient days, cultures would have harvest celebrations, harvest festivals, and that's what they were doing with the Feast of Pentecost. It was the wheat harvest. But it was more than simply a harvest celebration, as was commonly done in ancient days. It was also very symbolic. Because you understand, Jesus was crucified on Passover. He rose from the dead during the Feast of First Fruits. And on the Feast of Pentecost, the church was born because it was a harvest that God was about to bring in. And on this very day, 120 people would explode and 3,000 people would come to faith in one day in the Jewish Messiah and receive salvation. That is not coincidence. That is providence. Now check this out. The book of Acts, unlike every other book in the Bible, has no ending. You know, when the Apostle Paul would write a letter, he'd always end it kind of the same way. There'd be a salutation, there'd kind of be a goodbye. He'd say, hey, tell so-and-so hello, and tell so-and-so I love him, and uh, watch out for so-and-so, he's a jerk, don't trust him. That was kind of Paul's way as he's signing off, and then he'd say goodbye the end. But check it out, there is no salutation, there is no goodbye the end, there's no period at the end of the book of Acts. It's just a dot, dot, dot. You know why? Because the book of Acts has not yet been written. We are living in the book of Acts. We are living this out 2,000 years later. God is still moving. He is still bringing in the harvest. It's a harvest celebration. And the ancient Jews, as a part of the Feast of Pentecost, they would take the first fruits of their harvest and they would bake them into two loaves of bread. Symbolically, what was God doing with these two loaves of bread? He was showing that there's gonna be two groups of people joined together into one family, Jew and Gentile, into one body, one church. And they would take those two loaves of bread, check this out, and the priests would wave them. It's called a wave offering before the Lord. They'd hold these two pieces of bread up and they would wave them before the Lord. They would wave the wheat. It's in the Bible. <laughs> Clearly, they were Jayhawk fans, as spirit-filled people always have been. So these ancient Hebrew priests are waving the wheat, Feast of Pentecost. Okay, now I'm being silly, just saying, okay. But what happens? Listen, God begins bringing in a harvest. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 4? He said, the fields are white unto harvest, 
He said, the harvest is great, but the labors are few. Pray you, the Lord of the harvest, and labors into the harvest. Do you understand? When you leave here today, you go into the harvest field. Thousand people looking for their one, someone who needs Jesus that God will bring into your life this year if you're looking and praying for your one. Where is the harvest? It's in Lee Summit R7. It's in the Blue Springs School District. If you live in Kansas City, it's in places like Cerner, Black and Veatch, Burns and McDonald. It's in Parkersburg, Iowa. It's in New Richmond, Wisconsin. It's in Mexico, Missouri. It's in Houston, Texas. You see, this is the reality. We live out the Acts 1-8 mandate as these early Christians did. But here's the truth. If we're going to be a powerful witness of the Son, then we've got to be spirit-led and spirit-filled with the power of Acts 1-8, the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives within. And here's the good news. Listen carefully. Since the day of Pentecost, every person who by faith receives the Son of God has been permanently indwelt by the Spirit of God. Every single person. Now, I told you, Acts is more descriptive than prescriptive. There's some unique one-time things happening in the book of Acts that if you just isolate one passage, one story in Acts, and you draw your theology from that one place, you're going to be misled. For example, in Acts chapter 8, God brought salvation to the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews could not fathom how salvation could come to the Samaritans. Revival breaks out in Samaria, and God purposely delays sending the Holy Spirit on them until the Jewish apostles from Jerusalem could get to Samaria to visually eyewitness it so then they could bring back the news to Jerusalem that salvation has come to the Gentiles too. So there are people that, for example, will isolate that passage and they'll say something like, well, see, you first received the Son of God and then later on sometime somebody lays hands on you and then you receive the Spirit of God. Now, wait a minute. Run that now through the epistles. Remember, we've got to draw final conclusions about church doctrine, not just from Acts, but now through the epistles. Look what it says in Romans 8 9. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Gee, what do you think that means? I mean, it's so hard to understand the Bible, isn't it? No, here's the reality. If you didn't receive the spirit of God, you didn't receive the son of God. That's what he's saying. The moment you put your faith in the Son of God is what Jesus called being born again. And in that moment, when you put your faith in him, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you and gave life to your dead spirit. So if you didn't receive the Spirit, today your first step is by faith receive the Son. Put your faith in Jesus, trust in him to forgive your sin. In that moment, Jesus calls it being born again, and that's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit were all the super spiritual people baptized into one body. Everybody go, ah. No, by one spirit we were, everybody say, all all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. What's Paul teaching? God gives the spirit without partiality, without favoritism. In the ancient days, if you were a Jew, you saw two types of people in the world, and only two. You saw a Jew and non-Jew, Jew and Gentile. If you're a Roman or a Greek, you saw the world in terms of not Jew or Gentile, but rather slave or free. So what Paul's doing here, so wherever you're coming from, wherever you've been, God is giving the spirit without partiality. Matters not about your social status or your ethnic heritage. If you receive the son of God, you are instantly baptized by the spirit of God into the body of Christ. 
You see, Pentecost in Acts 2 is not a one-time event, but rather an ongoing event, meaning every single time somebody comes to faith in Jesus, receives the Son, they're instantly baptized by the Spirit of God into his body. And I say, Phil, well, man, I received the Son of God. I put my faith in him, and I didn't feel a thing. Doesn't matter if you felt it. You might not have heard a sound of mighty rushing wind. You might not have spoken tongues or languages, but you received the Spirit, whether or not you knew it. And in the same way, you received the Son, by faith, you received the Spirit. Believe now, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Look what it says now in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? The day you stand before God in heaven. The redemption story of your salvation. What does it say? The Spirit of God now seals you for the day of redemption. Church, this is why you cannot lose your salvation because the Spirit of God has sealed your salvation. Your sin can grieve the Spirit of God, but your sin cannot undo the seal of the Spirit of God. See, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. What that means is your works, not even your sinful works, can undo the works of God's work. You're sealed for the day of redemption by the Spirit of God. All right, now listen carefully. Every born-again child of God is indwelt by the Spirit, but not all are filled with the Spirit. It's the most important part, it's right here. You are indwelt instantly at the moment of your salvation, the new birth, what Jesus called being born again. You were indwelt by the Spirit permanently. It happened instantly. But not everybody is being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is something that must happen repeatedly. What is the difference? Listen carefully. To be indwelt means the Spirit lives in you, but to be filled means the Spirit lives through you. So you can be indwelt and not be filled. See, to be filled with the Spirit, and you see this over and over again in the New Testament, the command to be filled with the Spirit. Listen carefully, to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled or empowered by the Spirit. So you still got your old fleshly nature. When the Bible talks about your flesh, it's referencing the self-nature, the sinful nature. And you still got that self-nature. Now you got the spirit nature. You have both these natures now living inside of you. First uh, Peter 1 and verse 3, you have a divine nature now. You have God's nature, a holy nature, but you still got that selfish, sinful nature, which is why you can come to church and you can sing an abundant life, Holy Spirit, and you can raise your hands, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You can go out, get your minivan, and before you even get home, be climbing down your husband's throat. In the spirit one minute, in the flesh the next. That's why you can get in your minivan on the way here. Your kids are going crazy in the backseat. You're like, don't make me come back then. You, Holy Spirit. Because you got these two natures in you like I got in me. And here's the point. One of them will control you at all times. Will it be the flesh, your sinful self-nature, or will it be the spirit? See, the spirit lives in you, but now he wants to live through you, meaning he wants to empower you and control you. So now it's not you, but rather Christ in you. You can start to see why we need the spirit-filled life. 
I pray for this daily, guys. Before I come out here to preach, before I get out of my truck and walk in the office in the middle of the week, I'm praying, God, would you fill me with your spirit today? I need you so deeply, so desperately. Would you crucify my sin? Would you crucify my flesh, my negative emotions? Would you fill me up with you again? See, this is something you do repeatedly. It's about learning to walk in a state of humility, a constant state of repentance. Like as soon as I realize there's sin that has crept in and sin always begins here. Like as soon as I realize I've got a sinful thought, a negative emotion, God, would you forgive me of that sinful, lustful thought right now, right here? Would you forgive me of this unclean thought or this negative emotion? There are days I get up, guys, I do not feel the joy of the Lord. I am grumpy. I am grouchy. Oh, I know, you're never grumpy or grouchy. It's just me. No, right then, you consecrate, you crucify yourself. I give up rights to let this emotion control me today. Jesus, I give you all rights. And now you start then walking and reacting and responding in the power of the Spirit instead of the power of self. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is comparing, contrasting what happens when you get too much alcohol in your body. What happens? It's been a long time since I had my drinking days, but there was a day that I had my drinking days, and I remember being out with my drinking friends, and it happened almost every time. What happens when somebody gets under the influence of alcohol? I can tell you what happens. The nicest guy in the world all of a sudden wants to fight everybody. He's five foot five, 125, but he can whoop just about any man alive. He's going to prove it. That ain't him. That's the booze in him. You know, you've got some, uh, you know, some guy, you know, he, he normally wouldn't dream of walking up to a good-looking girl. Fearful of rejection. All of a sudden, he gets a little booze in him. He thinks he's everybody's Romeo. Everybody wants me. Look at her. She was looking at me. Yeah, I don't think so. It's It's the alcohol. It makes them bolder. They think they're stronger. They're saying things they wouldn't normally say, right? What Paul is saying, in the same way, the Spirit of God, when you get under the control of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, it's not you, but the Spirit in you. So that now you're responding and reacting and you're getting set free from that sin, that addiction, that dysfunction. And he does it over and over again. Now listen very carefully. It is not you getting more of the Spirit. It's you letting the Spirit get more of you. See, I hear people pray sometimes, well, we just need to pray that we get more of the Spirit. No, wait a minute. You got all the Spirit you're going to get the moment you receive the Son. The question is, how much of you will He get? That's what's at stake. And when you let him have all of you, all of a sudden you are living the spirit-filled life, led by the spirit, walking in the spirit. No longer are you controlled by that sin, that dysfunction, that addiction, that negative emotion. Uh, I put it like this. I'm going to do my best to try to explain it like this. You know, the apostle Paul said that our bodies are a vessel. That's, how, that's what he called it. It's a vessel. And we're born with this sin. The sin is already in. These bodies have sin and dysfunction already born in. Uh, these little ping pong balls, these represent the sin that dwells within. My lust, 
that if I let it control me, idolatry, pornography, captivity, sexual immorality, uh, this is my ego, uh, my need for affirmation, my need for people's attention, uh, my need for self-gratification instead of God's glorification. Hey, church, the reality is at this stage of my life, Pastor Phil, for me personally, what I battle is not the sinful things I do. No, you don't need to worry about Pastor Phil today dropping by a liquor store on the way home and getting lit this afternoon. Not going to happen. That should be a relief to most of you. That's not the threat. I'll tell you what it is for me. You got anxiety? I do too. I got more things to worry about than I ever have in my life. The more responsibility, the more you have to worry about. Worry, anxiety, depression, discouragement, sadness, the sorrow, the darkness that wants to control you. See, for me, it's the negative emotions. And sometimes your flesh runs away, gets away from you. Bad news when that happens. But see, we have all this stuff. Sometimes it gets out of control. We got all this stuff inside of us. It's born in. Think about that for a moment. This is what is filling us. But Jesus promised the power of the Holy Spirit. He promised, in fact, he called it the John chapter 4, the living water that would bubble up into everlasting life. And the word is baptized. We are baptized in the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just sprinkle us in the Holy Spirit. No, the reality is the word baptized, the Greek word baptizo, means to dip, immerse, plunge, or sink, to fully dunk. And at the moment of salvation, he fully dunks you and immerses you in the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of you because when the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of God cannot share space with the sin in you. It's either him or the sin. It's either him or that depression, that negative emotion. And in the heat of the moment, in the heat of temptation, in the heat of that tears, that trials, in the heat of, of that uh, tribulation, we make a decision. It'll be the Spirit of God or it'll be the dysfunction in me. One of the two. See, it's not the Spirit that you need to get more of. It's you, the Spirit, needs to get more of you. How much of you will you give the Spirit? He gives without partiality. He gives unconditionally. You can have as much of the power of God upon your life as you want, but it's either your sin or it's him. In the heat of temptation, it's about submission, not suppression. We cannot white-knuckle our way to the abundant life in Christ. No, your willpower will cave in. That's why you don't need another New Year's resolution. It's not about behavior modification. It's not about self-reformation. It's about a life of submission, not suppression. I can't suppress my sin. My willpower will cave in. In the heat of temptation, it is submission. Jesus, I give you all rights to my life. And when that happens, you are filled up now with the Spirit of God. And the sin cannot control you. The only question is, what will you withhold from God's spirit? So you can give part of yourself away, but not all of yourself away. 
Now, I can tell you, I've seen the extremes here, guys, and we talk about the Spirit of God. I came from a denominational tradition. I'm just telling you the kind of the one I was raised in. Great people. I'm so thankful for that history that I had and that denominational tradition. But kind of what I was raised in was the Holy Trinity is not the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It was the Father, Son, Holy Bible. They that worship God, Jesus said, must worship in spirit and in truth, John chapter 4. So we were really strong on truth. I mean, we had our deep exposition, and we had our Bible study. We are deeply tied to deep theology, and we wanted to have doctrinal purity. But I can tell you where I came from, we wouldn't have believed anything related to the miraculous. Like God used to heal, but he doesn't heal today. I mean, we wouldn't have talked about doing the impossible No, we had our truth, we had our study, we had our theology, but we didn't really understand the Spirit of God is still available today to empower us with supernatural power. Now, I've seen this other extreme over here, guys. What happens? They that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. If you're not tied to the truth, but you try to pursue the Spirit, you make yourself susceptible to any spirit, not just the Holy Spirit. Which is why 1 John 4, 1 says, we need to test the spirits, whether they be of God. How do you test the spirit of God and the work of the spirit of God? It's through the written revelation of the word of God. Because wherever the Holy Spirit is moving, other spirits are moving too. Which is why there's counterfeit revival and counterfeit moves of God all the time, everywhere. And sometimes it's the weirder, the better. Like I've seen it all. People barking like dogs, roaring like lions, rolling around on a floor, laughing hysterically, calling it revival, calling it the move of God's spirit. And I'm trying to tell you that there is nothing about any of that that fits any pattern in scripture of a move of the Holy Spirit. We need to worship in spirit and in truth, not one or the other. My friend Jim Cimbala said it best, decades and decades, he pastored in New York City, Brooklyn Tabernacle, wrote uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, New York Times bestseller. I love this quote. If all you have is the word of God, you'll dry up. And I, I remember the dry, dead orthodoxy. No real life change, not radically, not, not miraculously. If all you have is the word of God, you dry up. If all you have is the spirit of God, you blow up. And I've seen that too. But he said, if you have both, you grow up. Now, the debate theologically among Baptists and Pentecostals, I love theological debate. Let's go. I got my Bible verses, you got yours. Is there one baptism or two baptisms? See, Baptists say you're baptized by the Spirit, one baptism. But Pentecostals say, no, there's a baptism of the Spirit, and then there's a baptism in the Spirit, and these aren't the same thing. And sometimes I think, gee, why do we split hairs in the Christian life? Sometimes it's just kind of a nuance. You say, Pastor Phil, what you believe? You're gonna be shocked to hear me say this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we think we should have an answer for everything. No, there's a little mystery still here. It's okay if there's a little mystery. I don't fully understand it. I'm not sure. I've studied it both ways. I can see how both sides get there. Can we at least agree, regardless of where you've come from, that we are desperate for the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit. 
We can't live without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to live in mediocrity, apathy. I don't want to live in complacency. I don't want to live the average, normal American Christianity. I want to live in some way in the book of Acts. The power of God has never been withdrawn from the people of God. Let's live in the power of God's Spirit. Two baptisms or one? I don't care. I can tell you my life personally, as a young adult, late 90s, I'd surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm living on mission. I've chosen a career path, it's law enforcement. And I'm living on mission in my vocation. I'm having gospel conversations. I'm looking for my one before I even knew what it was called. I'm doing all that. I'm going on global mission trips. I'm all in, I'm serving Jesus, but I wasn't completely in. I had given the Holy Spirit a lot of me, most of me, but not all of me because I had a plan for my life. It was been 25 years on the police department and at 48 years of age, I was going to retire with a full pension. And for the rest of my life, and I would have the rest of my life, my plan was to golf, hunt and fish six days a week, go to church on Sundays. I had a plan for my life, it wasn't God's plan. I started having the sense God calling me to something more, something else vocational ministry, and I struggled with that call. I wrestled with that call. You know why? Because I thought if I surrendered to the call of God, like that call, I would have to go somewhere far, far away to a land and a nation somewhere else, and I kind of like where I live. God, I don't really want to go. And so I surrendered with this call in my life. I'd given God most of me. God, isn't this enough? But I want to hang on to a part of me, some of me, And there was this little brick building where our church began. It's no longer theirs. It's actually a former Kingdom Hall, a little broken down brick building. It was about a year before I would start preaching. There, little could I have known. I've been wrestling with God over this surrender and being filled with the Spirit is about surrendering to the Spirit. Missionary from Mexico was preaching one Sunday night, just maybe 25 of us there, small church. I've never shared this publicly until today because there are some moments so holy you just don't talk about openly. A second baptism, I don't know what to call it, but it was a second something. Spirit of God got all over me that night, guys. Little could I have known that a year later I'd be filling in as the preacher. I went to the altar that night. I surrendered all that I had for all that he was. I was so broken. I remember sobbing uncontrollably. Some of you guys, you are so handsome when you cry. You're like one tear. So handsome, not me. It was ugly. It was ugly. Uncontrollable. I was undone completely undone. But I can tell you something happened that night. And the reason I'm here all these years later is I got more of something, or should I say, the Spirit got more of me. And everything changed. There's so much more I wanted to say. I don't have time. I know we got more blanks. I promise I'll come back to it another time. Right here, right now. We're so desperate at Abundant Life, guys. We don't have what we need. You think, well, Phil, we're here where we are. because Some of you think it's because Phil's so awesome. 
No, I promise I am not awesome. I'm not as awesome as some of you think I am. I'm not as bad as some of you think I am either. No, if we take the gospel to the city successfully, it's impossible. We don't have what it takes. If we launch an Overland Park in the next two years, it's impossible. We don't have what it takes. If we want to see God reach around the world through Abundant Life Online, it's an impossibility. We are desperate for the power of God. I am still desperate after 23 years. God, give me Lee Summit. We began to pray, God, give us Lee Summit. We prayed, God, give us Blue Springs. Give us independence. Give us the crossroads in the heart of the city. Give us the, the 119th and Flum in Johnson County, Kansas. Give us, I pray. Parkersburg, Iowa. Give us, I pray. Mexico, Missouri. Give us, I pray. Houston, Texas. Atlanta, Georgia. And church house movement all over America. New Richmond, Wisconsin from Greenwood to Guatemala, from Kansas City to Kenya, from Blue Springs to Bolivia. That's the Acts 1-8 mandate and it's never ever changed and we're desperate for God. So I'm gonna ask you right now, <laughs> if you would do something that feels weird to some of us, I know, but would you not hold back wherever you're watching from in whatever place, would you come this way? Would you get on your knees with me right here, right now, as I did all those years ago in that little church? Will you join me in petitioning God and the Holy Spirit of God to come do what we can't do? We have no hope without him. We have no hope without him. Hey, for some of us, it's our marriage. What if when you began to fight with your spouse, you just dropped and prayed? What if you just began to say, God, would you come and fill our home? Would you fill us with your spirit? What if this week when you began to go back to that addiction, if you would just stop in the face of that temptation and say, God, come fill me with your spirit? Yes, that depression, that anxiety. What if in this moment, this week, when it began to take over, you just stopped and said, no, not today. The spirit of God is gonna reign. Today is the day. God wins. Jesus, we're desperate for you. The move of God began with 120 people desperate. You came and filled them. You changed the world with them. You changed the world through them. God, we believe you could do that same thing through us. That you could change our families. That you could change our communities. You could change our cities. Lord, we pray for thousands and thousands and ten thousands and thousands of people in the weeks, months, and years ahead that are far from you, that need to know you. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come in new ways and fresh ways to fill us again. Maybe for some of us, for the first time, we surrender all rights to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray it would be Christ in us, the hope of glory that our city would see. Come empower us, we pray. Push back the power of the enemy this year, every day, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Give Jesus the glory today, would you? Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co.
or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.